0: This is why David just had this. Yeah, he had a lust for other things for sure. But he had a lust for this presence of God to fill his life and to control and dominate his thoughts and his actions and his words. And in some ways, he did experience that. But in reality, most of his life, he was chasing it like a carrot at the end of a stick. And there came a point early on in his kingship where he wanted to bring the ark back. What is the ark? The ark represents a symbol of the promise that God made to Moses. And the promise was that I will be your God, you will be my people and I will dwell smack dab in the middle of you. Righteous, holy, blameless, perfect, sinless God will dwell in the midst of dirty, sinful humans that I have chosen. And so the ark was a symbol of that covenant that he made. It represents the covenant of the presence of God. And what happened along the way is the people of Israel began to lose track of what the covenant symbolized. And they began to think it symbolized power in war to defeat enemies. And they began to think it symbolized other things. And somewhere along the line, during Saul's reign, Israel... Kind of lost its habit of turning to the ark. Israel lost its habit of revering the ark not for what it represented, which was God dwelling among his people, but they began to look at it as a good luck token, a get out of jail free card. (coughs) And so what happens is Saul gets into a fight with the Philistines and he gets defeated. And the Philistines take the ark. And the very symbol of the covenant that God makes with his people, the covenant that says, yo, I'm not going to be in heaven. I'm going to live right here with you. That very symbol was taken away. Interestingly enough, the whole time the Philistines had it, everywhere they moved it was cursed. Bad things would happen. Terrible things. And so finally they said, yo, Jews, take it back, please. But at that point, for some reason, the Jews didn't really have much use for it. It was strange. So it stayed in an obscure place for a while. And then we come to 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 15. I'm going to read it to you. And David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000 of them. And he rose and went to all the people that were with him. To bring up the Ark of God, <clears throat> which is called by the name of the Lord His host, who sits enthroned among the angels. And they carried the Ark of God on a brand new cart, and brought it out to the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving this brand new cart with the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and instruments, and harps, and tambourines, and horns, and cymbals. And they all came to the threshing floor of Nacon. And Uzzah put out his hand on the ark of God and took hold of it, because the oxen began to stumble. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there right beside the ark of God. And then David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of God, in other words, how can the presence of God come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark any further into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household during that time. And it was told to the king, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David. And there was great rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox every six steps and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of horns. Isn't this kind of like an emotional roller coaster here? I mean, they're bringing David who craves the ark of God. He doesn't crave the ark itself. You understand that. He craves the presence of God. He so wants to be intimate with God. And we learned about that last week. And he finally has it. And he's bringing it to the city of David. And Uzzah touches it because it's going to fall off the, the cart. And Uzzah dies. And what we see in this situation is tragic. I mean, it's like a Macy's Day parade at first, Right? I mean, they've got the, the cows, and they've got the, the instruments, and everybody's in these costumes, and it's a big celebration, and it all comes to a screeching halt. They hit a bump. Uzzah tries to steady the ark. He's doing a good job, right? God kills him. You see, here's the reason why God killed him. God wasn't being mean. It's that sinful man could not come into contact with God without the shedding of blood. Be it by the high priest or by the person who makes the mistake in approaching God wrong. This wasn't God being mean. It was necessary because imperfection has no place in God's presence. Do you understand that? Here's the strange thing about this covenant that God makes with his people. I'm a perfect God. I will dwell with you. But I can't have perfection touch me or imperfection touch me. So I'm going to make this ark. My presence will dwell inside the ark. You will keep my ark in a separate tent called the tabernacle where I will live. And you can put the tabernacle right in the middle of all of us But nobody can touch me except the high priest. Once a year, he'll come in with a calf on the Day of Atonement, shed blood for forgiveness. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So David is angry. He's afraid. So he drops the ark off at Obed-Edom's house for three months. And David learns his lesson, and he tries again, and this time he does it correctly. I showed you the picture earlier, right? Let me go back and just kind of go through this again. I just want to make sure. I wasn't planning on doing this, but let me explain this. You see those rods? When they put it on the ark, they weren't carrying it correctly. God had given commands. You have rings on the side of each corner. You put a rod through, and that's how you carry it with four people so it doesn't fall they put it on a new cart it wasn't carried correctly that's why Uzzah died it was David's poor leadership that caused Uzzah to die and so as we go through these again I want to make sure that you understand he is reunited with the ark and it's a very big party but he did not come without a cost Now. Here's what's interesting about David. He wrote tons of psalms about the sanctuary, about the tabernacle, about seeing God in them. I'm just going to read a few to you. See, he longed to build a permanent sanctuary for God's presence. He wanted to do it so bad, but it would not happen until his son built it. Some of David's Psalms, I'm just going to read a few to you. Just listen to, listen to what David says about the dwelling place of God. Just, just listen carefully to this. In Psalm 20 verse 2, may he send help from you, help for you from the sanctuary and give you support, O Zion. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Behold your power and glory. In Psalm 68, 35, awesome is God from His sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to His people. Blessed be God. Psalm 78, 69, He built His sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which He has founded forever. Psalm 96, 4-6, for great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And then the last one I'm going to read to you. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sounds. Praise Him with a lute and a harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise Him in His sanctuary. See, from the moment David was king, he had a dream about building a permanent dwelling place for God. But that would not exist until he was dead when his son built it. But he wanted so desperately to be close to God. David wanted so desperately to be intimate with God. David wanted so desperately for God to actually live among his people. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. Do you see what happened when the ark was gone from Saul's reign? It's almost like they didn't even miss it. You begin to see that David was not a man after God's own heart because he was less sinful. He was a man after God's own heart because he loved to be around God. And his first act as king after he defeats the Philistines is to come and get the ark and bring it back. Why? Because he wants to be near his God. Remember this from last week? We talked about Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. I hope after reading these psalms that I just read, you start to get an understanding of David's obsession with the presence of God. But even though the ark was returned to Jerusalem, it's not the same. See, David wanted this type of relationship with God, but he couldn't have it yet. His approach to the ark was far too bold. But that's how David longed To see his relationship with God. Do you understand that? His approach to the ark was bold. Let's go. Let's get it. Let's go. Come on. Right now. But in reality. That's kind of the way he wanted his relationship to be. I know some of you are already thinking. Doesn't Hebrews say we're supposed to come boldly to the throne? Oh yeah. We're getting there. Don't get ahead of me. He wanted total. Transparency vulnerability he wanted to come to God as clean and as barren as he possibly could but he couldn't he had to approach God a specific way outlined by God to the priest once a year in this way according to this manner with these sacrifices and if you don't do it right you die But once the work of the Lamb of God was done, that curtain that separated and there was this big, thick curtain between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple area, the Scripture teaches us when the the work of Christ was done, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom and the rigidness of temple worship had been done away with. And all people from any station in life could enter into the very presence of God. And he no longer resided in the Ark of the Covenant. He no longer resided in the Holy of Holies. But he began to take up residence somewhere else. He began to take up residence in the hearts of his people. See, now we are the Ark of the Covenant. We are the sanctuary, not some building. God actually dwells within us. That very relationship that David longed to have is ours for the taking. Let's look at this one first, Romans 8, 8-11 those who are in the flesh cannot please God you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit and in fact the spirit of God dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him but if Christ is in you although the body is dead because of sin the spirit is life because of righteousness the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you I think he said it about four times now right he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit that dwells in you. Is that not enough? You want another one? How about this one? Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him, you know, for He dwells with you and will be in you. You want another one? How about this one? Probably my favorite. Do you not know? That you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And the Hebrew word for holiness and sanctuary are often translated the same. There's a couple other passages that does it. I'm not going to read them today, but Psalm 60, verse 6, and Psalm 108, verse 7 are examples of this. You can write those down if you're a person who likes to look at those later. But the point of it is this. Those words are interchangeable. Sanctified, or set apart, or holiness, and sanctuary, they're the same word. You can see the beginnings are the same. And what we begin to realize is that God... Is not in the ark. God is not in a temple. He's not in church buildings. These church buildings, as much as we love them and as comfortable as we are in them, this one here and that one across the way, the buildings are not sacred. They are not. They are not special. They are not holy. We are sacred. We are special. We are holy. Even though we call them sanctuaries they're not we are magical not the building because God dwells within and among his people we are the sanctuary and this is the core really of covenant theology the presence of God among his chosen people this is the core of the relationship that we're supposed to grasp with heavenly dad the core of it is this We no longer have to approach God with rigid worship. We no longer have to approach God in a special way to try to get some sort of extra dose of His favor or blessing so maybe He'll hear our prayers. Maybe He'll bless us. Maybe things will go well. That's not it anymore. We don't approach God anymore. Do you understand that? That's old school. New school is God dwells within us. And how does this happen? It happens because perfection was given to us through Christ, who shed his blood so that we might live, and who was risen from the grave so that we could now be temples. So I have this and a couple other things after my journal, but I want to share with you what I wrote in my journal when I was studying this. My liturgy, and let me explain what liturgy is. Liturgy is what you set forth in your mind of the best way to approach God, whether it be how you pray, how you start your prayer, Heavenly Dad, thank you for this day, and how you end it, amen, how the worship goes in a worship service, how people dress when they come to church, the songs we pick out, that's liturgy. How you approach God is liturgy. My liturgy is an attempt to use a prescription for worship that Jesus rendered needless. It's trying to fill my own, fulfill my own lust for piety. There's nothing wrong with that, I guess. It might help me feel better about how I approach God. But it is not for God. It is completely for me. It doesn't please him more. His thirst for perfection in his presence was completely satisfied in Christ. And as long as we approach our worship and how we worship with this perspective, God doesn't care about how much piety we have in our liturgy. God took care of all the imperfections in our piety through Christ. And you know, the funny thing is, in the midst of our deepest, darkest filth and sinfulness, he still has chosen to live with us. The polar opposite of what Uzzah's relationship was with the presence of God. Uzzah just touched the ark to make sure it didn't fall. And God says, you're dirty, you can't touch me, you're dead. And now, in the midst of that same type of disgusting filth, God says, not only can you touch me, I'm going to dwell in you. I mean, through Jesus, had Uzzah been trying to transport the ark after Jesus had died, he could have had lunch out of the thing. And God wouldn't have killed him. He could have carried his sandwich from Subway inside the ark and stopped and said, hold on, Ohio, I'm hungry. Stop, take the lid off the ark, eat a sandwich, and God wouldn't have killed him. Because Christ had already taken care of that. Can I ask you a question? How much do you think David would have loved to have our level of intimacy with God? Think about the obsession that he had with the presence of God. Do you think David would just say, like, man, I wish God... What are you telling me? That God could possibly dwell inside of me? Are you serious? Get out of here. He lives in the ark. You mean that guy, the one who kills all the enemies and the one who bless... He can live inside... So- I'll take it. Deal. Done. Contrast that with the story of the woman... Touching Jesus. Touching his garment. Contrast that with the story of how Jesus would touch people and what would happen? Would they die? They would be healed. Do you see how it's done a complete 180 in a reversal? Guys, do you begin to understand just how amazingly powerful the intimacy of God is that you can have and what it costs? David longed for this type of relationship with God. David said, man, if God could live in me, he could be with me all the time. Man, that'd be awesome. That's how we have it. That's who we are. The buildings aren't special. We are special. We are the sanctuary. We are the ark. We possess inside of us those who have trusted Christ. We have the very presence of God that David longed for every day of his life. That's a...